Welcome to an inspiring message from Awaken City Church. For more information about us, visit awakencity.com.au. It's my honour to bring the message today and I want to unpack a Scripture that I can't get out of my head. I'll be honest, uh, we were due to launch a brand new focus as a church, a focus on Kingdom Come. What does it mean to be in the Kingdom of God and what difference does that make? And I was walking with Rhiannon and our little ones yesterday, uh, Zoe who's seven going on 25 and Flynn who's five going on 32. And uh, they were buzzing on ahead in their bicycles, they were gunning it. And I just kept on feeling the Holy Spirit say to me, remember not to forget. And so I wanted to hijack what would have been our focus today to bring you something that is burning in my heart about this idea, remember not to forget. But before I unpack it, allow me to pray. Father God, I just ask that You would bring Your Word to life in us. I thank You that the Scriptures are the only living book in existence because not only do the words speak to us, through history today, it's your Spirit that brings them to life in us. And I ask here in this moment as we dedicate this time to receiving your Word, I ask, oh God, that you would open our ears to hear, that you open our hearts to receive. You'd enable us, Lord God, to be a people who respond. And Father God, may we be people who take ground together, no matter what, in Jesus' mighty Name. Amen. Remember not to forget. Have you ever forgotten something only to remember how good it was? Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever forgotten something only to be exposed to it and remember how good it was? I've had this awesome privilege of raising Minorianna's firstborn, Liam, who's now all of 12, into the fine arts of great films and action movies. I think when he was five years old, I sat down and watched Revenge of the Sith with him with Star Wars. And had to explain to his five-year-old brain that it was okay that Anakin Skywalker had his legs cut off. (laughs) Rihanna still rubs that into me today. And I I exposed him to all these great movies like Marvel and all the things there. He just, we've seen all of them. We would sit down and talk about the, the hero's story and the journey. But now the best thing is, now that he's 12, I'm introducing him to the movies that I really love the most. Now, there's certain movies Rihanna won't let me show him, but, but I'm getting closer and closer. I don't care that he's not a teenager yet. That's just, that's just a little, little thing to overcome. No, he, he was ready and he was ready for me to sit down and watch with him. Last week, The Born Supremacy. He, he watched The Born Identity first, but I gotta say, The Born Supremacy. If you have not seen it, my gosh, that is a movie. It is all of cameras whirling everywhere, action going around. Matt Damon, when he was Matt Damon. (laughs) And the whole time I'm sitting there watching Liam, my heart is skipping because I'm worried. I'm worried because this is now considered an old movie. He even says to me, when you were growing up, what were movies like? They were like this. They're amazing. <laughs> we watched it and I forgot how good it was. But there's lots of different things that you forget how good it was. Have you ever had a meal? It's one of your favourite meals, but you haven't had it in forever and you have it and then you just think, man, there's a reason why this is my favourite meal. 
Or have you ever done something that you just love to do, but you'd forgotten? It's like, man, why don't I do this more often? It's like we're constantly battling this lie to forget. Like things are just marching on so quickly and we just keep on moving, moving, moving that we often forget the things that have made a difference in the first place. It's almost like we struggle with a corporate sense of forgetfulness. Just recently on drums, I don't know if he's still in the room, we, Jason and Beth Druskett, Jason was on drums today, just come back off two weeks away because they, they had their first child, their, their daughter. And Jason's probably hiding out the back. It's not good to do those announcements when somebody's gone out the back to refresh themselves. When he comes in, maybe we'll cheer. And, and I got to hold her. There you go, Jace. Congratulations. Good work. Good work, Jason. I know you, your wife and your daughter are at home, but good work. Well done. <laughs> they came in, I got to hold their daughter. And it's shocking how quickly you forget how small humans start if you've been a parent and... You, you, you remember what it was like, but you'd forgotten. How could you forget something like that? See, we battle with forgetfulness. We battle with this sense of, we, we sometimes, many of us get great victories and, and God does amazing things, but we seem to battle this sense of our own forgetfulness. And we have to be people who remember not to forget. And I know this is important because this theme comes up all throughout the Scriptures. All throughout the Scriptures, you see God reminding His people, remember not to forget, remember not to forget, remember not to forget. Constantly this seems to come out because the issue that we all have is that we forget. And the difference is that when we become people who remember not to forget, what that instils in us is an unconquerable confidence that allows us to say, God's taken me this far, why not more? And I often find when I journey with people and I feel that their faith has been shut down, the key thing that I have to do is to help them remember again who they are and who they're called to be. And if I can help people do that, they draw upon a strength that overcomes anything. Remember not to forget. There's a book in the Bible that covers this in really deep ways. It comes to us out of the book of Exodus. Exodus means a departure. And the whole book is about a departure. It's about a departure of people from slavery into the promises of God. And it's a book of departure in the sense that you see people departing, not just from their slavery uh, into the promises of God, but you see them constantly depart from the promises of God back into their slavery. It's like a departure of multiple ways, which is often a picture of what life is really like. It's, we, we would like it to be linear, like, God, you're taking me on an adventure, on a journey. It's straight shooting all the way from here. But when you read books like the books of Exodus, you see that the journey is often more circular. And it's like, all right, I got here, I got stuffed, I got lost, I got lost. Oh, I caught back up, now I move forward. Oh, I got lost again, now I move. And it's this movement and cycle. But God seems to, in His patience, change us along the way. So the book of Exodus is about people's departure. They were meant to depart slavery, but they took slavery with them along the way. So the book is about God's people being stuck in Egypt for generations. 
They were a nation without a homeland at that point, but they hadn't forgotten who they were. And they cry out to God and they cry out to God and God raises up a leader named Moses to come and confront the leader of that, that nation, Egypt, Pharaoh, and cause there to be a great freedom bought. Well, they see the most miraculous things take place. Things that if we saw them today, right now, it would blow the mind of any Marvel fan. Born supremacy ain't got nothing on Exodus. See the movement of God flow. And see, these people got to experience, not just hear about it, experience it. But if you read the book of Exodus for yourself, once you see them launch out into the adventure ahead, what you'll find is that they took slavery with them. They were free of all control, but they weren't free in their minds. And so at every problem they faced, every single problem they faced, they would default back into constraint. So they forgot to remember who they were and who God had called them to be. There was a moment where they were worried about food because there was no woolies open along the way and coals had shut. <laughs> That's not true, I'm sorry. There was no woolies or coals at that time. We're talking about an account that happened about 3,600 years ago. But they were complaining where we were going to get our food from. And, and you've got to take into account these people had escaped Egypt because God parted an entire sea in front of them. How hard is it to get a burger? But they start complaining and they start complaining with vengeance. They start complaining in a sense of wouldn't it have been better if we never left in the first place? Could you imagine what must go through a person's mind to be set free, only to face a test to say, I wish I was back there in that. How lost they are to themselves. And in that, God answers this complaint, the complaint, not even a, a prayer of faith, it's a complaint. He answers it by giving them grain from heaven, which they turn into manna that sustains them. There's another account where they're complaining about the water. There's no water bottles to go around. Where are we going to get our water from? God, You may have parted the Red Sea and You may have given us grain from heaven, but surely You're not going to give us water. And in that, Moses, the leader, led by the Spirit of God, strikes a rock and water comes from the rock. Where else was it going to come from? <laughs> See, they'd forgotten to remember who they were and whose story they were in. And they were taking doubt with them like it was their clothing. And we pick up the account in Exodus chapter 17. As the people of Israel, this nation without a nation, are travelling through to go to their destination and they face their very first battle. Everything to this point had been a test and they had failed every test. And now all of a sudden they have an opposition force, an army who's presenting them a real battle. Man, you thought being hungry was a battle, that was a test. You thought being thirsty was a battle, that was a test. Now you're in a legit battle. There's swords and knives and stuff. And there's no special effects, it's real. And you are untrained and you have you are slaves and nobody's ever taught you to fight. And all of a sudden, you now have to fight. 
You wish you'd been taken around another way. Surely God could have had a different path here. Surely God, you knew what we were and that well, we were too weak to face them. But in God's goodness, He leads them into a battle. Because often God is doing more in us along the way than we would even like to admit. So sometimes it's in the pressure and the hardship that growth actually comes. And they go to a valley. I grew up in a valley. I grew up in the Maclay Valley in the, the mid-north coast of New South Wales. And valleys are beautiful, but they're also oppressive. Like in summer, it was like a heat bowl in that thing. You'd run to the beach just to get some relief, but just a little bit inland in a valley, it's just like the air just hung oppressively. See, if you lived your life up on the hills, there's, there's virtually nothing up there. Nothing's growing up there. The ground's too rocky. It's, it, it doesn't sustain itself. The water runs off. If you want to grow something, you've got to be in the valley. But the valley has its tough points. And the people of God are taken to a valley. Not a valley to stay in, but a valley to pass through. And they have to fight their way. They have to remember not to forget. And it says this in Exodus chapter 17, verse 8 to 15. At Rephidim, which is the name of the valley, Amalek, an opposition force, came and fought against Israel. This was their very first ever battle. Moses said to Joshua, Joshua had been his side, had been his young one that he was developing and growing. Joshua would go on to become the future leader of Israel. And this is where Joshua learnt how to lead from the front lines. Moses said to Joshua, select some men for us and go and fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the hilltop with God's staff in my hand. Joshua did as Moses had told him and fought against Amalek. While Moses, Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. While Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. But whenever he put his hand down, Amalek prevailed. When Moses' hands grew heavy, they, Aaron and Hur, took a stone and put it under him and he sat down on it. Then Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other. So his hands remained steady until the sun went down. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this down on a scroll as a reminder. Remember not to forget and recite it to Joshua, the next generation to carry this. I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek under the heavens. And Moses built an altar there and he named it, The Lord is my banner. You can learn a lot in the Scriptures when you discover what names mean. And Amalek was a group of people, the Amalekites. Their name meant plunderers, meant nomads. They were people without homes who just stole from others. And it's interesting that the Israelites' very first battle was against people that they were tempted to be like themselves. People that would go on to journey without a home because they didn't have the faith to enter in. And it's interesting that they overcame that, but in a very unique way. 
And I just wanna present this to you as a blueprint for us to be a people at whatever stage we're in, whatever journey we're on, to choose to be people who remember not to forget what the Lord is doing. See, in this account, you've got Moses. You've got Moses who is leading the people who chooses to go and stand on the hill. Now, what strategy of fighting and battles is that ever a successful ploy? See, he's not going up there to direct the army. He's not going up there so that he can tell Joshua what to do. He's entrusted Joshua completely with the battle. Joshua is the general on the front lines. What Moses chooses to do is he goes up on a hill and he raises his hands. How ridiculous is that? But see, you've got to understand that Moses, up to this point, every battle he had faced, every test that he had faced, he'd only been able to respond with faith. When he stood before Pharaoh to see God's people released, the only thing he had going for him was that God had called him and God had sent him. And while he didn't know how God was going to prevail, he was unwilling to relent because God had given him the grace to lead. And so when Moses goes up on the hill, he goes up with the only weapon he's got. He goes up with his faith. And I don't know about you, but when you have nothing but your faith to draw upon, you feel exposed. You feel like you're out on the hill all by yourself. And you feel like there's nothing around you. Could you imagine how Moses felt? Can you imagine if somebody down there in the battle simply picked up a bow and arrow and had a shot? He is completely exposed, but he is there because he has only one thing he can lean on is his faith. And he goes up to a high place. Later on, he would meet God on the mountaintop. But today he stands on the hill. Why? Because he surrendered to God. What if the greatest victories are won on the hill? Before you get down to the front lines of the battles, what if the greatest victories that we could ever win in our entire life are won when we choose to be people to get up on the hill and stand exposed before God and before everybody else that I've got nothing but my hands raised. I've got nothing but my hands raised. I've got nothing but my hands raised. There's no strategy, there's no weapon, there's no tool, there's, there's no contact. It's just me before God surrendered. God, I've got nothing but You. And what if that is the seedbed of all victories? And what if when we forget to do that, the enemy prevails in our world? Because it's not lost on me that as He's standing on the hill, exposed with hands raised, that Israel prevailed. We have to be a people that forget, that that choose not to forget, that we remember who we are and who we're called to be. That we are people who look to somebody beyond ourselves. That we are people who choose to climb the hill when the battle seems to be raging and that we meet with God as our first priority. When you are in your workplace and pressure is coming from you from all direction, remember not to forget that you do not draw your strength from your own abilities. That you choose to be somebody who climbs the hill. 
When you are facing breakdown in relationship and it is out of control and there's only so much you can do, here's what you can do. Climb the hill. Expose yourself before God and allow Him to meet you where you're at. Remember not to forget who you are. Now, if the story stopped there, I think that's an amazing account. Moses is up on the hill, hands raised and the battle is won, but that's not where it stops. Goes on to say that Aaron and Hur went up the hill with him. And it's significant that Aaron would go on to become the very first priest in the history of Israel. And you think of the role of a priest as somebody who is there to mediate to God on behalf of people. And it's interesting that this guy, Aaron, who happens to be Moses' brother, who had stood with him through every pressure point, is now standing with him again and chooses to raise the hands of his brother. Because as Moses grew weak, we all grow weak. We can have the best intention possible. Our heart can be burning, but our hands can be burning more. And we can be standing there with all that we've got, all our strength and our hearts and our hands start to dip, not because we've done anything wrong, but because we cannot do it alone. So we forget to remember that if we live life alone, we live life isolated and lost and cut off from what God wants to do in our hearts. That we forget to remember that God's people are just that, a people, not a person. The person is Jesus who gave His life to have a body of people who would serve Him and love Him. And so as Aaron goes up the hill, he takes with him her. Her is somebody you don't hear about much in the Scriptures. It's commonly believed that her is the, the brother-in-law to Moses and Aaron, that he had, was married to Aaron and Moses' uh, sister. It's interesting that Moses had his two brothers then up there on the hill. And they say that while Aaron was the priest or to become the priest, her was an influencer, was a leader of others. And it's interesting as Moses raises his hands and his hands grow weary, they're there not to condemn him, not to kick him, not to say you have failed us, not to say you have let us down, not to say that Moses, you tried and failed, but they were there to lend their strength to the load. And they're creative in it. This is how creative they are. Moses, we've noticed that while ever your hands are raised before the Lord, we're winning, but it doesn't mean you have to be standing. Let us get this rock that is better than any sofa you've ever sat on. And we'll drag it over and we'll position it underneath you. And you sit while we stand. See, we have to be people that remember not to forget that we're called to raise one another's hands. Whose hands are you raising? The church is built on this thing called brotherly love, sisterly love, gracious love, where Moses had his brothers by his side, standing and carrying the load. Whose load are you willing to carry? Because when we forget to remember that that's a part for us to play together, people fall down on the hilltop by themselves. We are not called to do this alone. In fact, I would go so far to say that the victory wasn't won just because of Moses. It was won because Aaron and her were willing to stand with him. 
Remember not to forget. See, sometimes you're going to feel like Moses up there on the hilltop by yourself exposed. Sometimes you've got to choose to be Aaron and her and look for opportunities to lift up. What if the key to your ministry, think of this, Aaron is a priest. What is his ministry? To lift up, to allow others to lift up to come alongside so others can stand before God themselves. What if the real ministry for any one of us is found in that? Are you willing to raise the hands? Not just your hands on the hilltop, but to lay down yourself and raise up the hands of others. The purpose of ministry isn't a title or a role, it's a position. Will we come alongside one another? Because here's the deal. The battle was won because Moses was willing to go up the hill. The battle was won because Aaron and Hur were willing to raise their hands. But the battle was won because Joshua took the fight to the enemy on the front lines. No victory would have been won if all it was was Moses and Aaron and Hur up on the hill. It took Joshua... But Joshua was not alone. He was with the army of God's people. See, we have to remember not to forget that while we have to get up on the hill if we want to share in the victory, while we need to be willing to raise one another's hands if we want to see this through, that the battle is actually won on the front lines. With those of us who choose not to do anything but Allow God to work through us in the midst of the test, the battle, the price and the pain. It took all day for Joshua to win that battle. All day. All day. And while Moses sat up on the hill, it wasn't just about him. It was about all of God's people playing their part together. See, we have to remember not to forget that a church is built of all its parts of every single part, every single person, every single one of us living out the fact that your calling is who you are and who you're called to be. Nobody is called to position. You're called to the front lines of life to simply live out who God has called you to be. That your calling is found simply in being obedient to what God has led you into. We have to be people who remember not to forget. Ultimately, out of this battle, I love how it finishes. Instead of having a big party, as far as we know. Again, in verse 13, it says, So Joshua defeated Amalek and his army with the sword. To leave no certain doubt that this was a real battle. The Lord then said to Moses in verse 14, Write this down on a scroll as a reminder and recite it to Joshua. I'll completely blot out the memory of Amalek under the heavens. And Moses built an altar and named it, The Lord is my banner. See, we all need to remember not to forget. The trick is that God's people had already experienced so much and yet they grumbled all the way to this point. And I wish I could say the story goes on with them never stumbling again, but they did. 
And it's all drawn down to one thing they forgot. They forgot who they were and who they were called to be. And so the greatest thing that they could carry out of the battle was the gift of remembrance. There's another book called Deuteronomy. There's also there in the beginning of our Old Testament. And the word Deuteronomy means the second time. And the idea behind the whole book is that the leaders and Moses and others had gathered God's people to hear again afresh before they entered into the promises of God, who they were and who they were called to be. It's a whole book of reminders. Could you imagine that? There is an entire book in our Bible that's there simply to be a reminder. It just rehashes everything. But yet it's a reminder to us that we often need to do that ourselves because we forget that we're meant to go up on the hill. We forget that we're meant to raise each other's hands. We forget that we're actually called to the front lines of life. We forget too easily who we are and who we're called to be. So we need to remember and remind ourselves. So Deuteronomy is a reminder. You cannot go on to the promises of God without remembering who you are and who you're called to be. If you really wanna go on to the promises of God, do not forget what He's done. Because as you remember, you'll know who He's calling you to be. He's not done with you yet. He is not done with you yet. And so Deuteronomy, the book of the second chance says this, in chapter six, verse one to nine, I want you to hear this. This is the command, the statutes and the ordinances. The Lord your God has commanded me to teach you so that you may follow them in the land you're about to enter and possess. Do this, do this, do this, so you may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life by keeping all His statutes and commands I'm giving you, your son and your grandson, and so that you may have a long life. Listen, Israel, be careful to follow them so that you may prosper and multiply greatly because the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God is one. The Lord, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them. Remember not to forget. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house. Allow your conversation to flow along who you are and who you're called to be. Talk about them when you sit in your house, and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead so that whenever people see you, they can see who you're called to be. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates so that whenever people enter into your dwelling, they know who you are because you have not forgotten to remember who you're called to be. What if we need the reminders what if it's not just about others? What if it's about us? What if we too quickly forget to remember who we are? 
What if I need to bind on myself or I need to write on my mirror or I need to have these little notes set up in my Bible that when I open it, it reminds me what God has done and what He's continuing to do. Because if I leave myself to my own devices, I feel like I'm on a hill by myself. My arms drop and I've got nothing left to give. What if we're called to remember not to forget so that we can stand on the hill and raise each other's arms so that we can take the front lines? What if there is more? Can I invite the worship team to come and join me? That account in Exodus happened 1,600 years before the time of Jesus. Fogging up. And when you get to the time of Jesus, you see that this idea of forgetting not to remember carries on. It's like a sickness in the human heart is forgetfulness. And in Luke chapter 22, verse 17, we're invited into an intimate setting. Jesus is sharing His very last meal with His disciples. He knows what's about to come. He knows that there's one sitting in their midst who's going to betray Him. Yet He's willing to allow that person to sit in His midst. See, Jesus had come to be a King of a Kingdom that was unlike anything else that had been established on the world. Every other King won by the power of their army by the strength of the sword, but Jesus came as a King that won in completely different fashion. He upended things because He was the King who came to give Himself, to pay a price that we could never pay ourselves. He's the one who went on down the hill called Golgotha, dragging a crucifix along with Him so that He could have His hands nailed wide and His whole body raised up so that He could take the fight to the front lines and pay in Himself the sacrifice we could never pay. Jesus is worth it. And in Luke 22, we have insight to His last meal. The closest of the close around Him and He's preparing them for what's to come. And these people, many of these people would go on to do the most amazing things recorded in history. One of them, Thomas, who they say was doubting Jesus to begin with after the resurrection is the one who ends up going and giving his life in Southern India to see people who have never heard about Jesus established and know who they are. These people went on adventure, not fighting by human needs, but fighting by means of seeing people set free and live who they are. They went with a message, one that they were commanded not to forget to remember. It says this in Luke chapter 22, verse 17. As they're about to eat together, it says this, Then He, Jesus, took a cup. And after giving thanks, He said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the Kingdom of God has come. And He took bread, gave thanks and broke it, gave it to them and said, this is my body, 
which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, He also took the cup after supper and said, this cup, this new covenant, my blood which is poured out for you. And they partake together the bread and the cup as a physical act to remember not to forget of their value to God, of the price God was willing to pay for them and who they were called to be out of that. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope it has blessed you. If you would like to find out more about Awaken City Church, visit awakencity.com.au.